1: Listen every Wednesday to Breaking Beauty Podcast.
0: Hi, I'm Caroline Stanbury, and I am divorced, not dead. I'm a former Bravo TV star and now former wife. Fresh off the back of my divorce, I'm bringing real stories, real life, real talk on all things that aren't said between each other, society, the sheets, and everything in the middle. And lucky me, you'll be joining me for the journey, so buckle up. Welcome back to Divorce Not Dead. And I'm here again with the amazing Peter Crone, who's known as the Mind Architect. And this is, well, the second podcast we've done. It was about a year ago that we did our last. And Peter's joining us again. And today we thought we'd talk about people that have to heal from emotional trauma, whether it's from past relationships, previous marriages, or anything sort of traumatic in our past and how we get over it and move on. Hi, Peter. So lovely to be joined by you again. And thank you for coming on.
1: Hello, my dear. It's lovely to see you. It's been quite the year for you. Well, for all of us, I guess, if you look at the state of the world, but but you've had a, a pretty extraordinary year since I last saw you.
0: I think we all have, if you think about it. Well, my year has been pretty amazing from where I've come through, going through divorce, getting remarried, doing it all in COVID, starting an entirely new life with someone 18 years younger than me, all of these things. But other people, I suppose, also have been going, there's been COVID. We've all had work issues. COVID has either been great for marriages or horrendous for marriages. All of these (laughs) issues that have come up. I mean, you must be working like a demon right now.
1: Definitely not lacking any clients. That's for sure. Yeah. There's a lot of mental concerns out there. Should we say there's been a lot of stress for people. I wouldn't say it's necessarily changed my business because I tend to try and keep things very balanced in my own life. So even if there's an increase in demand, you know, like it doesn't mean that I'm going to bend over backwards to change my my schedule too much. But I think more than anything, I've just had a ton of compassion for how much nonsense is going on out there and how it's really sort of impacted and at at some level ruined people's lives, you know, so, but I'm happy that you're shining my dear and congrats again on all of your great success.
0: Thank you. (laughs) I mean, I really do feel like, again, and I can't stress it enough with people that it's how you take things on, right? obviously, you know I know how this uh, sounds, and I get it a lot. well, you're rich or you you make a lot of money it's easy for you and it's really not I, I want to stress that you know I almost went bankrupt last year i told I think I told you this I was in an eight year law case. It was me or him i mean i I emptied my bank account to lawyers, so these things have not been given to me because i've got, I'm sitting on some trust fund from Daddy somewhere. And I I don't think people have quite got that. I really honestly believe that things happen to people that go out and get them. You know, and absolutely, Mm -hmm. I know that some things are so tough as through COVID, you know, we people have been, you've got mental health, you've got real illness, you've got, you know, jobs being lost, but you can turn a, a negative into a positive.
1: <laughs> you definitely can do that. Yes, <laughs> exactly.
0: You can turn a, po- a negative into a positive. You really can yes. if you yeah. look at it the right way. And I understand, you know, some people who've gone from working in offices have gone to running their own at-home business and much prefer it. It kind of was a kickstart to people Really looking at their lives, some people who were in unhappy marriages, you know, suddenly realised that they were sat at home with their husband and they had nothing in common anymore, and maybe they decided to take that leap. And it doesn't all have to be ne- negative because it could come out that it was just the catalyst for a big life change that needed to happen or a shift, because we get so complacent in life, you know. And that's what I really want to say that you don't have to sort of go into this black hole that you can't get out of. And I think that's what you embody and do for people, right?
1: 100%. I think it's, you know, why one of my favorite quotes of my own and that people share quite regularly on, on social media is that life will present you with people and circumstances to reveal where you're not free, right? So I look at life very much through the lens of this is a journey of spiritual evolution. It's not a journey of circumstantial comfort, Right. So most people are playing what I would consider the human game, where they're trying to manage and perfect their circumstances. And that's always going to be met with resistance, disappointment, trauma, upset, frustration, because you can't control the universe. But if you look at it through a different lens, which for me is why we're here, it's about my own evolution, the capacity to which we can become free regardless of circumstance so that we're no longer a victim of circumstance, then that's what, you know, as far as I'm concerned, is the pathway to becoming a free and powerful human being. So to your point, regardless of what people have been through, and it's in no way to dismiss the hardships that people have been through, it's how are we interpreting them? How are we responding to them? And to what degree is life actually offering us that sort of mild to maybe sometimes severe form of stress so that we can develop greater strength, right? Like it's no different than going to the gym. When you lift weights, the whole intention is that you're giving muscles something that they can kind of manage, but is a little bit beyond their current threshold so that then you grow and you become stronger. So for me, it's the same emotionally. It's to what degree can you utilize your external circumstances as the catalyst for your own adaptation, so that you become a much more powerful human being.
0: And I think there's, you know, there's so many different forms of trauma and from past trauma as well. And I think a lot of people, because, you know, I think we're conditioned to also block traumas out and maybe your past or, you know, from your youth and maybe some people haven't even recognized that they are, they do um, hold on to trauma from years and years ago. How do yeah. how are people able to recognize this and move on from it? Because maybe that's what's also holding them back.
1: I would say beyond what's also holding them back, I'd say that is what's holding them back. Right? Like so, we are sort of for the most part, people are defined by their history. And their, yes, trauma is a big blanket uh, blanket term, but it can be something as extreme as I was just helping somebody in a mastermind who was sexually assaulted by two men, you know, a woman. And um, this was very traumatic for her, but I'm equally, this is a mastermind that I'm doing a six month mastermind, which just is incredibly inspiring and powerful to see these people share with me and in the group, what they've been through, and then I can help them to transcend that. So The the gamut of traumas, it certainly is a broad spectrum from sexual abuse to maybe just somebody being told by their parents that, you know, they should have got an A instead of a B, you know, which might not seem that severe, but to a child, it can be like devastating. So how do people get beyond that? Well, as you said, sometimes people at the time, they can't cope with it. And whenever we can't cope with it, we tend to just sort of stuff it away. And it becomes a blind spot that unfortunately will dictate the choices and the feelings and the actions that people have moving forward. So sometimes you really do need somebody to speak to, you know, whether it be a great therapist or a great friend or a a, a coach or somebody so that you can start to unpack and unravel the experiences you went through. I know for myself, when I work with people, you know, I was was talking to a gentleman from India yesterday and a very successful individual, and we were addressing some things that he was going through. And as we started to uh, reveal what was actually uh, going on for him, it brought to the surface something even deeper, right? So that's sort of the quintessential layers of the onion. So I think you need a safe space, first of all, somebody that you can talk to who's not going to judge you, who's as best as possible, just going to love you and accept you for whatever you've been through so that then you can by virtue of the energy that they hold equally embody an energy of acceptance you know one of my other most powerful quotes as it relates to the past as i say what happened happened and couldn't have happened any other way because it didn't and when people really get that it's very it's very liberating we had somebody reach out he had been struggling with substance abuse and cutting he'd been cutting himself for many years and just like a lot of teens and young 20-year-olds feeling the immense pressure of the comparisons of social media and trying to start a career. And he'd gotten into alcohol. And anyway, he actually tried to commit suicide, You know, woke up in the hospital. And he heard me on a podcast say that very quote, what happened happened and couldn't happen any other way because it didn't. And for him, it was that trigger of real forgiveness of his own history. And he actually ended up tattooing the quote all across his forearm to cover the scars of his cutting. So you know that that to me is one of those beautiful stories where in real life, somebody truly was struggling, they had a lot of trauma, they heard some form of inspiration that helped them to go, you know what? I've done what I've done and I'm not necessarily proud of certain things, but it it couldn't have been any different because it wasn't. And there's a profound sense of self-acceptance when you get to that place. So I think that's where a lot of people have to start with their trauma is to realize one, it couldn't be any other way because it wasn't. And then two, to what degree can you either find forgiveness for yourself or often times the quote unquote perpetrator, whether it was somebody who actually did abuse you or whether it be your parents. So those are two very pivotal steps in terms of healing is profound acceptance and then uh, a, a certain degree of forgiveness.
0: I think that's um, the key as well. It's just the realization, because I think there are obviously there are levels of trauma and that's that's the point. People that have been sexually abused or had terrible assaults or bad marriages or things like this. You know, that's one thing. But then you have you have other types of trauma growing up where, you know, I mean, I feel like my experience of going to boarding school, which other people laugh at because obviously it's a privileged one. But I started at six and I left at 18. And, you know, for me, that was traumatic. You know, I was forced to sit at a dining room table, eat my food in front of 300 people, had to wait until everyone waited till I'd finished, you know, whilst I'm gagging over my breakfast. It wasn't a pleasant experience for me, but I do get embarrassed to talk about it because it sounds like, oh, oh, poor you, you know, someone paid for me to go there. So I get it. But, you know, and I, I think that did sort of shape the woman I am because I'm not good with emotion and all of these things, which is what's so funny about what you said about me and Sergio, because, you know, I I was not a hugger. I've n- I don't think I've, I mean, I don't think I've ever hugged my mother. You know, <laughs> I, I sort of tap people. Yes, <laughs> terrible. I'm really, really bad, and and I'm just not very good at showing all of that stuff. So I mean, you know, even when Sergio does try and give it to me, I, I sort of push him away a lot. But we laugh about it and I make it into something funny because somehow it doesn't sit well with me, as I'm just not yes. used to it. I'm like, well, it's Brit- I'm British, so it's just recognizing these things in yourself, I think, and understanding that just because yours is different to somebody else's doesn't mean that theirs is more, you know, has more of an impact to them. Each person is different and each person goes through their own thing and it's all relevant to you as it's just as powerful in your life as as you know everybody else's problems you have to allow yourself to talk about it with other people in the same way that anyone else can and allow yourself the freedom to feel it's okay to discuss it and that's your story and your
1: yeah no, I mean, I look, I, as far as I'm concerned, this whole dimension of being human and planet Earth is really this curated journey for each of us to be able to transcend whatever constraints we arrive with, right? So oftentimes one of the mechanisms by which people will dismiss their trauma is to compare it to somebody who's worse. Yes. Right. It's like, oh, well, I, I look at so-and-so, or it could have been like, you know, far more difficult if I was da, 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 and it becomes a justification or a rationalization where that's one way that they actually avoid going into their hurt and pain, right? So even with what you just shared, I know you're using a little bit of comedy, but like, you know, if you did just say that, oh, well, I'm British and you have fun with Sergio about it and you push him away, I understand, but that to me is a coping mechanism, you know, right? What I hear is there's a little girl in there who was genuinely hurt. And even you sort of like in your own way are sort of belittling the experience of being basically shamed, you know, in front of all of these other kids like that, that for any kid, whether it's sexual abuse or you having to finish your breakfast, it's really irrelevant. The event, what's important is the experience. And what I hear is a a young girl, you said at six or whether this was six, seven, eight, nine, or how old you were for a child to be shamed by adults, and then certainly made fun of by, you know, having an audience, that's a serious trauma. And so for me, it makes complete sense that you would negate any form of affection or love, because that flies in the face of what you've learned, which is that you've been abandoned, you've been dismissed, you've been pushed away, and that you're bad, right? So if that's your inner dialogue, then it it makes it very difficult for you to actually be somebody who's a recipient of love and affection. So
0: that's the way, you know, you're brought up your entire, the most formative years of your life. Like, you know, if I remember you were in a dorm with however many children at age six and seven, and if anyone wet their bed, you're told to get up in the middle of the night and clean your own bed up. Like that wouldn't happen today. That doesn't happen in your home, you know, where somebody, you know, and children don't understand. And of course they're out of their house and they're left, in a place where you see your parents, what, two to three times a year. So, mm-hmm. you know, the whole of your life, I mean, it was the whole of my life, if, if I think about it, you know, and it's, it's not much fun. People think it's this gilded, beautiful cage, but it really wasn't. So it really was like going to the army. That's how I equate it. We, you know, someone yeah. walked into the room at seven o'clock, banged a massive, you know, bell. So you woke up with a shock, went to bed, you know, like by yourself in a cold room with, have 20 other kids. I mean, I would never send my children to a place like this, but I, that's mine. But then you're right. You do have this thing where you go "Well, somebody else went through this. So you don't feel it's as bad or you're, you don't feel entitled. That's the word I was looking for. Entitled to share it because you feel stupid because you feel like it's like Instagram, isn't it? You're comparing yourself with everybody else again. And you're going, well, they've been yeah. through worse. They were brought up in, you know, a house where they didn't get their own bedroom or they didn't get to eat food every day. And you're you sound stupid privileged and whiny
1: right i understand but i think it's very important both for you and anyone listening that we don't belittle or dismiss our own journey everybody's got their own karmic journey right like so you're here to transcend whatever you're here to transcend and it doesn't serve you or anybody else to in any way negate what you've been through as somehow less significant because even if it is a mild trauma, you know, my parents died when I was very young, I was orphaned. So you could say my trauma was pretty bad, but it's still irrelevant. I still hold the same space of love and compassion for somebody who might've gone through something minor that they lived in a beautiful neighborhood with very wealthy parents. And they're upset that their 16 year old friend got a brand new BMW and they got a Volkswagen. You know, it's like, okay, it might seem relatively speaking that that's just pathetic and petty, but for them in in their environment you know social status with their friends and stuff they felt like shame so so i just i really what i want the listeners to get from this is is don't don't in any way negate or mitigate the importance of your own trauma regardless of how deep it was because your contribution to the planet is important and if you're holding on to the slightest form of some sort of like self-judgment or self-criticism, it's still in the way of you being a beacon of love and compassion for others.
0: Let's take a little break from the show and discuss an app that I think you've heard me talk about before, Truebill. It's a new app that identifies and helps you stop paying for subscriptions you simply don't need, want, or simply forgot about. If you have kids that are into gaming, this is very relevant right now because I do... And on average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel and Truebill makes it incredibly simple. All you have to do is just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. It's like having a concierge when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions. So you don't have to. Truebill has over 2 million users and has helped save them over a hundred million dollars. That's insane to me. Like Matthew, who said in a matter of seconds, he saved $660 for the year of his Direct TV bill, saved $120 for the year on his Cyrus XM bill, and saved $840 on his car insurance. Do you really need all those streaming services now that you're back in the office? Or free trials to automatic renewals that you don't know about when big companies simply keep charging you Truebill is your secret weapon to save you money on subscriptions that you don't need. How many free trial subscriptions end up costing you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars long after you forgot to cancel? So don't fall for subscription scams. Start cancelling today at truebill.com slash dnd. Go right now to truebill.com slash dnd. It could save you thousands a year. truebill.com slash dnd. I hope this helps. Let's get back to the show. Also, from the trauma perspective, I think, you know, past trauma and present trauma, is there a difference in the signs for you and things like this? Or, you know, how, because the traumas of what we've been through in the last two years, I think, I mean, well, it's crazy. You can't imagine what's really gone on. And if you had told any of us that this was going to happen, I think we'd have all laughed with the way the world's gone. But how do you compare, like, present trauma to past trauma like because people in bad relationships now and going through life now and struggling with the world that we're in because children have become um, disassociated. They haven't gone to school. They haven't got friends the normal way that we all did. They, you know, that yeah. they're not going to school. They have to wear masks at school. It's, it's all very weird. People are now at home all the time. They don't really want to go back to an office environment. Everyone sort of got used to working from the home and the world's just changed so much. And it's also put so much stress, as I've said, on relationships, so much stress on relationships, because now you're at home with the children and your partner 24-7. It causes a lot of friction in a house. I don't care how good um, of a couple that you are working together, living together is not easy in a small space, in cities, in the countryside, whatever. How do you get through all this right now within, you know, the times that we're living?
1: I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is just to breathe, you know, to slow down. I think, you know, there's circumstance, which is one thing to deal with, right? Like everything that you just listed of having a job, raising kids, feeding children, hopefully having some sort of passion with a partner, having your own creative outlets. Like there's a lot of things that people do in circumstance. But what we wanna look at then is also what we spoke to earlier is how do we how do we react to that, right? So it's one thing to quote, unquote, have what people perceive as a problem or a difficult situation. It's another thing to have the same situation, but then be frustrated about it, right? So what I'm saying is, you can learn to just handle events or you can learn to be emotional about events <laughs> so i tend to sort of encourage people to do the former which is look the the, the very you know mundane expression of life is hard like you know it, it, for everybody there's there's shit to handle let's face it so can you get to a place where you just handle life versus react to life right so basically what i'm saying is things are the way they are right you've got three kids You know, they don't all get along. You don't necessarily have the budget to give them the food you want. You just got laid off. You're trying to find another, like there's circumstance. And then there's the emotion that goes with it, right? Now, if you can at least mitigate and reduce the emotional reaction to circumstance, you become much more powerful in your ability to handle circumstance.
0: How the fuck do you do that, Peter? If you could teach me that, that would be wonderful because I wind myself up like a spinning doll. Because if anyone, you know, if anyone's used to routine and when you have children and businesses and everything else, routine is key. And when things throw me off, that throws me off. I, I, I just, I can't cope with life. I mean, how. Uh, So right there. So
1: let's interrupt to answer your question. So when things throw you off, that throw things that throws you off. Right. So the implication there is that circumstance threw you off. So I interrupted you because you said, well, how the hell do I do that? So first of all, by realizing what you just said is a lie. Circumstance doesn't throw you off. You throw you off. So at least now you start to get a semblance of power. Because if you think that it's because of what happened, Sergio did this, or this event happened, or your business, da, 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 whatever the external quote unquote excuse is that created your emotional reaction, now you're a victim of circumstance. That's a flat out lie. I know that's how it occurs and that's how it feels, but nobody's upsetting you, but you. Now that at least, I'm not saying that's easy, but at least if you understand that, go, okay, something happened, somebody said something. See, that's just, that face is adorable, but it's also where I can see that you don't want to be responsible. No, (laughs) yes,
0: he's nodding over there, listening to you, Sergio. Yeah, Yeah, he gets it. We had this this morning.
1: so, So this is one of the things that I help people, especially as again, my high performers, who are under a lot of stress, under a lot of pressure, is to recognize that you're not upset, you're not angry, you're not frustrated, you're not disappointed because of what happened. What happened is what happened. And then you have your interpretation and your reaction to it, which is gonna be founded in these deep subconscious patterns of survival. So whenever Caroline gets like you know frustrated or upset by something, it's not that that's upsetting you, it's revealing where you, what you're fundamentally saying to yourself is, I'm not big enough of a human being to be able to deal with this situation. That's really what it comes down to. And that's a lie because you are. It's just that your emotions, your ego are being triggered in a way that you think you're a victim. It's basically, don't take this the wrong way, it's basically like a child having a tantrum. I don't oh, want I, it. No, to be I know this I, way. Have I have
0: tantrums. I have tantrums. I have full-on. Tantrums. Oh, that's for
1: sure. <laughs> like, big time. Oh my god, you can imagine like a different level. My head spins off. <laughs> but because I'm also, <laughs> you're you're a saint, my friend.
0: He, he is. He is. I know. He is. He's really good at handling them. I've got to be honest. Look, you have all, all the people that work for you. And you're responsible. Hey, so I, many because things. you keep
1: saying you, and it's a me. way that you protect yourself. Me.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you, I'm responsible for so many things in my life. And I think it's when you get divorced, I don't care. This has got nothing. I didn't get me. divorced.
1: So, so keep saying I. I. Because, see, you, you, it's automatic. It's uh, a way for you to be safe and not powerful and responsible.
0: Yes. Yeah, so I guess when I got divorced, I took on everything and I like to be in control of everything, which is probably why my husband's 18 years younger, because <laughs> that's the only way.
1: But, for example, as soon as I do something, no matter how good or bad I do it, she
0: just, wanna, she just wants to finalize that thing I do, you know, because I have to just, finish
1: it. it goes with her. That's the problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that's not control. That's all fear from her. That's where she then again, it goes back to what you were sharing about being in boarding school. The conversation about control is a complete illusion. You're not in control. You only need to feel like you're in control if you're living in fear. I don't need to control anything. I live in trust.
0: Do you know what my tattoo says on my arm? I don't. Live without fear.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's not working. Thanks.
0: (laughs) Shall I go and change it? (laughs)
1: You don't (laughs) need to get it it tattooed on your forehead. I know. Oh, thanks, Peter.
0: (laughs) No, I know. But I do do. I, I make pretty ballsy decisions every day. Like I do. Sure. I mean, but, yeah. you know, absolutely. But I'm also I like to I overrun everybody, I suppose, in my life. And also, you know, Sergio's learned learnt my business. But I do understand women. We, we feel like we have to do everything. We do. It's, I understand. It's,
1: yeah. It's yeah. inbuilt. No, and this is why I have so much reverence for the female and especially mothers, because you do not, you just categorically do not get enough acknowledgement for the beings that you are. Men do not understand the bandwidth of a woman. They certainly don't understand the bandwidth of a mother. And so for my male friends out there and that I speak to either directly or the male listeners, you know, I encourage them to please just say thank you you know, just be grateful in your ignorance, right? Versus complain or judge. But I think, you know, one of the greatest attributes of a woman is her resilience. But as I always explain, what happens is because of your capacity to withhold so much stuff because of your skill as a being who has resilience, the nurturer, the provider, the caregiver, the lover, the soft blanket for a child, the lover of a husband, whatever it is, like you, you, know, your assets are just endless. But in the face of a psychological feeling of inadequacy, which a lot of women have, they become tolerant. And that's a very different energy. I empower people, I especially sorry, I empower women to not give into their own psychological feelings of inadequacy to the point that they become pincushions or abused, whether it be professionally, personally, or romantically. And so, you know, you obviously a tough cookie, I would say a lot of that is is an adaptation, it's not authentic, right? This is where you recognize, okay, maybe you're a little harsh on people, you do have your tantrums, it's a survival mechanism and you're trying to control your environment. I would say that's actually a slight to the powerful woman you are, that you don't need to do that. A truly powerful woman doesn't need to in any way dominate or control. That's a way of you trying to survive your deeper fears. But nonetheless, I hope that women get what I'm saying is don't acquiesce, you know, doesn't mean you have to become a B-I-T-C-H, you know, and push people around, but don't tolerate harm, don't tolerate abuse. And I think, unfortunately, as I said, the bandwidth of a woman is so broad that most women, many women, let's say, have learned to tolerate a mediocre job, a very unfulfilling relationship. And then they still take care of the kids. And I think it's a crock. I, I I would empower women to say, no, you're extraordinary. And, and don't let your quote unquote partner, your man, your boyfriend, your husband, your boss, get away with any kind of bullshit. That's that for me as a man is what I am a stand for for women.
0: I believe in that too. And that's what I try to sort of push forward in this podcast is just to explain, you know, because I think when I was going through it, you know, Everyone said, it, it, can't, it can't work. It won't be better. Stay in your marriage. And I want to tell women that actually I, I sort of drowned out the noise and did what I wanted anyway, and it worked. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, women that have been through traumatic uh, marriages or haven't had a great time, or especially in these times, they, it can be very, very minimal. I think men can throw out a lot of sort of little digs at women mm-hmm. that yeah. slowly, yes. slowly build up. And, Absolutely. you know, how do these women sort of get past their trauma, retrust, and get out there again? And I think, I think that's it, building the confidence back and being able to say, no, I'm, you know, especially as I said, with everything that's gone on, maybe they've, the job isn't of their dream. And obviously there aren't, a whole load of jobs out right now. Maybe yeah. the house, you know, the, the husband is—it's the end of their tether, but they're sticking it through. Sticking—I'm going to stick it out till my children are older. I hear that a lot, and yes. I don't believe yeah. in sticking it out till your children no. are older. What are you waiting? The expression for? I
1: use there is like you know, kids would much rather be from a broken home than in one.
0: Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Might have to keep that. So, you
1: know, so that's no, that's a terrible justification. When your friends were telling, you know, stay there, do da da. What I hear is the under the subtext of that, you know, suggestion is that they're asking you to actually stay safe, right? For a woman, a lot of the concerns that they have is about security, which is why you see the stereotypical sort of like a woman who is with a wealthier man. She may not be like in love with a guy, but there's a feeling of like, well, at least I have a roof over my head. I can provide for my kids. So for the feminine. That's what I had.
0: Sorry. That's what I had. Everyone was like, are you out of your mind? You know, I'm 43 when I met Sergio, who was 24. No disrespect to Sergio, he had his own money. But I mean, he couldn't, what's he going to do? Can't look after me and three kids at that stage. You know, and I think everyone was in absolute shock that I would go off with a 24 year old and, and leave my quote-unquote stable house and life and everything else. And I didn't do it for Sergio. I've, I've made this abundantly clear. Sergio is perfect for me now. And I don't care about what, else, you know, what everyone else thinks. Because if you are in the right relationship, you can make it together. You can make it all happen because you're bigging each other up.
1: Yeah. And that's where it becomes an energetic expression. So to go back to how do these women do it? Like to me, I'm always looking at that subtle energy of the unmanifest, the energy of who you are. A woman can justify and rationalize her life away by saying, well, I'm going to wait until the kids leave the home or whatever it is. But internally, she's in a state of dis-ease. She's not happy, which then can lead to a manifestation of all sorts of things physiologically. You know, when people get sick and they get cancers, this is because there's unexpressed emotion. There's this suppression of frustration and the absence of love. So it's like, okay, well, you're justifying the picture-perfect external, but internally you're basically killing yourself. So it comes down to a much more profound sense of trust in the way that life is gonna unfold. And for a woman particularly, it's really around self-worth. It's around her self-value. And again, society doesn't necessarily right now, and it hasn't done for decades, recognize the value of the feminine or the woman, which is why I said I'm such a stand that women need to recognize their worth. And if somebody truly recognizes their value, then they're not going to withstand or tolerate whether it's a partner, a job or whatever. Even there are her own kids. She's not going to allow for abuse is a strong word. But to me, the way I say it is like anything that is not love is abuse. So, you know, it's a, it's a very broad umbrella of what abuse is. But for a woman to be able to understand her worth, and it's not even a woman. This is like a man, a being, a human being. You're the only you on the planet. And that warrants having a sense of like real self respect. But if you don't have it, again, one of my quotes is that if you don't love and respect yourself, what makes you think anyone else will? Right. So it always comes back to us. That's the good and the bad news is that if we're not happy with our circumstances, whether they be professional, romantic, or otherwise, we get to look at ourselves. Who am I energetically and the way that I express myself, the way I think, feel, and act that gives rise to the circumstances I have? Versus being a victim of them. Oh, my husband is a dick or my boss is a douche or, you know, okay, that's great. But why did you attract those circumstances?
0: That's a very interesting question, actually, There, because I find that there are certain people that, you know, attract relationship after relationship after relationship that's shitty. And then you go, okay, it's you, it's not them because I haven't met one of those types of guys. You know, why, why, why is that?
1: It's always us. So really, you know, it may seem like a very crass or simple simplified example, but when you get up in the morning and you go into the bathroom to wash your face, brush your teeth, whatever you do, you you look in the mirror and you, you personally, Caroline, you don't see a 300 pound man, right? Like Mm. that would be disconcerting, right? (laughs) You see, (laughs) I mean, maybe depending on how you slept, it might be close, (laughs) but but the point is, the mirror has no opinion. It, it's just reflecting what's there. Mm-hmm. So, for me, the same holds true of life, right? So, life is the quintessential energetic mirror. So, if somebody's walking around with an internalized narrative of self deprecation, inadequacy, insecurity, and a feeling of scarcity because of, yes, their, their childhood. And what dialogues they picked up from their parents or they were belittled or for you like being mocked by this school in front of all of these kids. You know, you you are going to create an energetic signature, which then will attract circumstances to reflect that. That's the way that life works. Going back to what I said earlier, for me, it's all about spiritual evolution. It's not circumstantial comfort. People are trying to create perfect circumstances to accommodate and adapt to their feelings of lack internally. And that's why it doesn't matter. I mean, we all know billionaires, multimillionaires who are miserable, anxious on their third marriage, so and their many, kids hate them.
0: So yeah. many gilded cages. So it's got nothing
1: to do with circumstance. No. Conversely, you know, not that I'm saying I'm the poster child, but like I live obviously a very nice life. But it's to me an extension of the energetic joy, heaven on earth, that I found inside of myself that now is simply manifesting as ripples externally. So it really is an to out proposition. Which is where I'm helping people to transcend the internal feelings of fear, limitation, constraint, inadequacy, and security so that they discover their own inherent worth, their own inherent power, their own inherent love. Uh, somebody who is truly seated within their own sense of self-worth isn't going to attract or manifest circumstances that are in any way abusive. It it, it it's physics. It's not going to work. You know, if you work out, you eat well, you take care of yourself. You're not going to look in the mirror in two months and and feel like you're obese and out of shape. It, do, it just doesn't work that way. So the same emotionally and energetically.
0: So people love a, a good, you know, people kind of want to be led, Peter. I've learned, and especially in these podcasts, I think the most popular ones, yeah. they want to take away. They want to understand. So if I'm in a shitty marriage, my job's going to shit and I'm at home right now, what is step one? Because I think step one, it's like with everything, you know, when they, people want to start a business, they're like, well, how did you start? You know, they want to leave a marriage. How did you leave? What was it? What's what's the step, the first step in recognizing that you're in a hole right now? You need to deal with the trauma. You need to start again. You need to make a shift in life. But how do they do it? Because maybe finances aren't right. Maybe the children are there. They're young. Maybe the husbands, you know, they've only been with the husbands since they're in their early 20s. It's all they know, you know, and they're scared to make the change but I mean, it's so important to make the change. It really is. What is the first step in all of this? Because you you feel, I think what happens is people just feel overwhelmed and underwater.
1: Yeah, I totally get it. So the first step truly is compassion and acceptance for self, right? So life is the way it is. Like again, one of my quotes is say, life is the way it is, but only always, (laughs) right? So whatever their circumstance is, it is the way it is. So If they're in a state of dismay, frustration, depression, sadness, that's not going to help. Like I said earlier, circumstance and then emotional reaction to it. So through acceptance and compassion, we go, okay, yes, for whatever reasons, I fell in love with my high school sweetheart, or when I was 20, I got married, and you could say it was too young, but it, it doesn't help you to say that what you did was wrong. It is what it is. So acceptance of your circumstance is the only way that you can start to actually make powerful change. So that's the first step, is to recognize that you are in the current situation that you're in and to remove the judgment of it, to remove the disdain for it. Because any resistance to life is only gonna create more internal friction, dis-ease. Acceptance is the acquiescence of that feeling of internal suffering. It's like, okay, I'm 300 pounds and I'm a, you know, five foot 10 man. And I really want to be 180 pounds, but I'm 300 pounds. Like you can get bent out of shape and upset. It's not going to change the fact that when you stand on the scale, it says 300. So you start with acceptance. Okay. Then you can start to have responsibility for the choices that you make. That's where the compassion comes in that like, I'm not perfect. I made choices all along the way. And this is where I'm at. The next step I would say is to find a safe outlet. Right now, that could be a paid professional. It could be an amazing therapist. As I said earlier, it could be a beautiful friend. It could be a family member. I don't know. But to be able to reconcile your history. So it's basically, if we were to correlate this all to time, acceptance is present, right? My life currently is the way it is. I'm with a narcissistic husband who doesn't give me any affection you know, whatever it is, my kids are at young age and I feel responsible and I feel like I'm a terrible mother if I separate like, but that is the way it is. So that's so to present remove state.
0: excuses, remove all excuses because we always yeah, give ourselves
1: excuse. It is the way it is. That's the present yeah. conversation. Mm-hmm. How you reconcile your history is find an outlet to be able to basically have, you know, somewhat of a download and a dump emotionally, whether it be with a professional or a friend or otherwise and say, look, I just need to get this off my chest. you know. I shouldn't have got married when I was 19, or I shouldn't have da-da-da. It's okay just to get that out so you can sort of somewhat reconcile your history that you've been carrying that is also weighing you down. But step one, acceptance, my life is the way it is. Step two, reconcile your history as best you can by expressing and talking about it and finding a safe space of love and acceptance. And then step three would be now commit to a future. So that's the three buckets of time, right? That we cover is I accept my present state. I'm going to express and forgive myself for my history. And now I'm going to commit to some new future, even though that can be scary because you don't know what it is, right? We want to be able to, now that's where we have to develop trust. So you've got acceptance, forgiveness, and trust, basically, right? Acceptance for the way things are, forgiveness for the way things have been, and trust for what I'm committing to.
0: Well, thank you very much. I mean, I I had so much. I mean, there's so many questions that I got, you know, with with trauma. And I think it's something that's so interesting for people because, you know, from everyone wanted to know a lot about going through grieving, going through dealing with exes. And I think I think it all comes down to the same steps, really, you know, regardless
1: Yeah. I mean, those three buckets that I just gave people really can be sort of superimposed on pretty much every circumstance, grieving and breaking up with an ex. I think, you know, I'm just going to intuitively tap into what your questions might've been. So I think where a lot of people get stuck is they use the term loss. So I lost my partner. I lost my father. I lost my wife. You know, even I lost my business and that is such a disservice to people. You didn't lose anything something went, I didn't, but I, for for the longest time, my mom died when I was seven and my dad died when I was 17, right? He went to work and never came back. And for the longest time, albeit socially acceptable terminology, people would say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry for your loss. And how have you dealt with the loss of your parent? That word gets thrown around. And I, for a minute there, because I was 17, I didn't know any better. I bought into the narrative of loss. It wasn't until I matured and I sort of evolved spiritually. And I realized, no, I didn't lose anything. My parents died. Because I'm complete, they were complete. The journey of their life based on their karma was what it was. And I have subsequently, without getting into it now, recognized why that had to happen for me to become the man I am, right? So there was no loss. I mean, I was actually talking to this gentleman again yesterday who was grieving the loss, what he called the loss of a family member who was very important to him. And subsequently, he's been in a state of depression, anxiety, angry outbursts to people because that person represented this huge blanket of security. And I turned the whole thing around for him. It was so powerful. I said, no, you're under the impression that what you thought he provided was over there with him. He was simply the role model to turn on and trigger those qualities in you. So you didn't actually lose that person, but rather you gained your own qualities within you that he helped you to discover. So it now becomes a conversation of finding something, not losing something. And I could have the same argument about my parents, which is I didn't lose them. I discovered an immense amount of unconditional love through my parents that inherently is my own. So whatever anyone's going through there in terms of grief, get rid of the term loss, deal with reality, which is your relationship ended. Somebody decided to go and be with somebody else or be alone. Somebody died, right? Be very specific with what actually happened and recognize that as it relates to you as a being, you've never lost anything. You never will lose anything because you're inherently complete. Somebody can display something for you. They can, you know, be the example of love or they can even be the example of a trait you don't want to be embodied. You know, it's like, wow, my husband really showed me what abuse looks like and I don't want to tolerate that anymore right? So it can, it can work from either the quote unquote positive or the negative, but we are ourselves the, the compilation of all the experiences we, you know, love is the easiest one to say. We think we fell in love with somebody and it's over there. I fell prey to this when I was young and I realized, no, she was simply the catalyst to reveal the love that I already am. It's not personified in her because if it was when she left me, I'd fall apart because the love, the illusion is the love went away with her. No, 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 no. The love was what was in me. She may well have been the inspiration for it. So, you know, I'm I'm jumping around, but hopefully people get that the grief component, that's natural. It's okay to miss somebody. I missed my dad, but I didn't lose him. You see, it's a very subtle, but important distinction.
0: Yeah. And it's all the way you look at life. And I think that that is what yeah. today's podcast is about. And I hope that you gain some perspective from this and you're able to take the first step because the first step, as I've said, is the hardest and the most rewarding. Because once you take that step and you make you make that decision to start the rest of your life, you really can start the rest of your life. And and it is as simple as that because it becomes a train from then on in. It's the. Yeah.
1: And why it's the hardest, I would assert, is because it involves responsibility. And one of my quotes, is, I say, you're either a hundred percent responsible for your life or you're a victim.
0: Thank you very much, Peter. That was an amazing podcast. I loved having you on.
1: Great to see you, Milo.
0: And you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Divorce Not Dead. Tune in next Wednesday for a new episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. We'd love to hear from you. Follow me on social media at, at Caroline Stanbury for all the behind the scenes action.